0: Titus chapter 3, the title of the message this morning, Fight the Good Fight, Don't Fight the Bad. Fight the good fight, don't fight the bad. Last Sunday in verse 8, Paul addressed the relationship between faith and works, or grace and works. We're saved by faith in Christ alone, but Paul said we need to be careful to uh, obey God and, and, and have good works. Paul said in verse 8, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now be very careful with this verse here. Underscore the word affirm. And now underscore good and profitable unto men. Affirm and good and profitable unto men. You know what that tells us right there? We need to affirm the things in God's Word that are good and profitable unto men. Paul said, Titus, you need to constantly affirm the fact that we are saved by God's grace. You need to also affirm the fact that we are obligated to obey God's commands. Affirming these things is good and profitable to men. When we attend church, our church services need to be good and profitable unto men. They don't need to just be soul-stirring and, and exciting and uh, entertaining and things like that. They need to be good and profitable unto men. And so this means the teaching needs to be good for them Uh, being spiritually beneficial to them. Only by digging deep into God's Word and expounding its gracious truths can Bible teaching be profitable unto Bible believers. I'll say that again. Only by digging deep into God's Word and expounding its gracious truths can Bible teaching be profitable unto Bible believers. So affirm these things, Paul said, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions. Underscore the word avoid. So in verse 8, we have the word affirm. And now in verse 9, we have the word avoid. As far as Bible teaching is concerned, Paul is making it very clear this morning... As far as church and religious activities are concerned, as far as our doctrine and, and uh, our occupation in religious things is concerned, there are some things that we need to affirm religious wise, Bible wise. There are some things that we need to avoid religious wise. In Bible wise. Not that we avoid anything in the Bible. I'll make that clear in a moment. So and that's not because some things are convenient to teach. And other things are not convenient to teach. We need to teach all of God's word. It's not because some things are more comfortable and less controversial to teach. And others are not. We need to teach the controversial as well as the popular. It's because some things are profitable to teach. And others are not. So here's a kingdom truth for God's people this morning. We should affirm things that are profitable, and we should avoid things that are not. We should affirm things that are profitable, we should avoid things that are not. And one of the things that we should avoid, Paul says, is foolish questions. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to answer questions that people legitimately have. How many times we've been in a class before and someone says, there are no dumb questions, right? And, 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 you know, it's nice when a teacher says that. But what if someone raised their hand and said... Well, I have a question. They go, well, now that's a dumb question. You know, next question, please. Well, no one wants to raise their hands anymore. So last week I had a couple of people ask me questions after Sunday school, our Genesis Jesus class, which thank God's going very well. I'm so grateful for the people there. And it's my privilege and it's my duty to answer those questions. Paul's not saying, Bible teachers, if someone asks you a question you think it isn't a very smart question, then just tell them, well, that's a foolish question and refuse to answer it. The Bible says we should avoid foolish questions. That's a dumb question. Next question, please. Now, he's not talking about students asking questions. He's talking about foolish matters of contention. He's talking about religious debates about stupid things that don't even matter. That's what he's talking about. Foolish questions. I have a pastor friend of mine that used to take Bible teachers to task over a particular subject. Whether or not angels could sing. How many of you all believe this morning that angels can sing? Raise your hand. How many of you all believe that angels can't sing? Raise your hand. Brother Chris sang. I don't know. How many of you all would agree? What difference does it make? Raise your hand. Well, let me tell you this. I've never found in the Bible where it says angels sing. I I, I can't find it. You may be thinking, well, they they were singing glory. No, they were saying glory in the highest. They didn't say they were singing. A lot of people think, oh, they were singing. No, it just says they were saying. See, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says they were singing. But you know what? What? If an angel can belt out a tune, praise God for it. Let's hear it. And if God didn't give them the ability to sing, praise God for it. That's fine too. They got I mean, at least they can fly. Sister Glenda sings pretty, but she can't fly. You know, I mean, so it's okay. That is a foolish question. You see what I'm saying? That's something that people, and he used to take preachers to task over it. But whether, again, they can sing or not has no impact on the success of our church, our growth in the grace of Christ, and our knowledge and our obedience to God's Word. So if a group of people were to approach me after church one Sunday and say, Pastor Fulton, we really need to know your position on angelic singing. Where do you stand on this matter? (laughs) I'd have to say, what difference does it make? (laughs) earlier this year I had a man write me a long long list of questions about where I stood on all kinds of theological theories theories and he would not come visit this church until I answered all of these big long complicated stances on these theories and i politely let him know that I didn't care about these theories. I didn't care what all these people's different philosophies were on different things. I didn't care. And I told him, Man, I'll be honest with you, all that gives me a headache. We'll just get into God's Word at our church, you know. Um, so if he would have asked me a Bible question... Man, I'd let him have it. I'd say, here, yes, brother, here, let's go to that Scripture, and I'll explain that to you. I'll explain my position on that particular Scripture. He didn't ask me any Bible questions. He asked me theological theories. But I would have, I would have been glad to have answered it. But to me, he was splitting hairs on a bald man. You know what I'm saying? Splitting hairs on a bald man. You know, bald men don't have hair. So he, he, he was making a whole bunch, uh, uh, a big fuss about Nothing. Nothing at all. And someone that comes into a church like that, that their mind is so occupied on splitting those little hairs that aren't even there, they'll split a church up. They'll come and they'll make trouble. If God didn't find something, I'm just going to tell you how it is. And I tell my wife this all the time. She'll be talking about someone saying something, and I'll tell this all the time. If God didn't find it useful to put something in the Bible then why should I find it useful to argue about what's not there? Right? If it's, I'll tell my why. If it's not in there, I really don't care. If God wanted us to know, He would put it in there. Other than that, I don't even care thinking about it. But if He didn't find it useful to put something in the Bible, then why should I find it useful to argue about it? When the church dwells on something that is not addressed in Scripture, it is a distraction that can result in a division. We'll say it again. That's another kingdom truth by the way. When the church dwells on something that is not addressed in scripture. It is a distraction that can result in a division that never needed to happen. What else should we avoid? Paul said avoid foolish questions. Look back in your text. In genealogies. In genealogy. So if you are... On Twenty Three and Me, if you're on Ancestry.com, you're a sinner. No, I'm just playing with you. I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> now, a genealogy, of course, is when we we trace our ancestors back from one generation to the next. And I I, I appreciate family history, and that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about well. You know, is it a sin for me to look and see who my great-great-grandfather was and where they came from and all that? No, it's not a sin to do that. Now, I do believe it can be a sin if you get over-occupied. Well, I really do. Uh, But that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that we should not care about our family history. Um, At the same time, we need to understand that there is no spiritual benefit that we can gain from our ancestral heritage. There is no spiritual benefit that you can gain by tracing back your ancestral heritage. You can gain a wealth of knowledge. It can be very enriching to you, you know, to kind of know where you came from, you know, at least in the few generations back. Um, But after spending all that time and money, if you trace your genealogy back far enough, can I give you a spoiler If you trace your genealogy back far enough, someone told me last week that they were able to trace your genealogy back to Europe. But you know what? I can go back further than that. (laughs) After all that time and money, you're going to end up at the same place as everybody else. You're going to trace it back to Noah on an ark. You're going to trace it back to Adam in a garden. That simple. Okay? Uh, but did you know that some people believe, and this is what Paul is talking about this morning, the, the, the genealogies that there is some type of spiritual benefit I can get by tracing my ancestry back, by tracing uh, uh, history back and people and groups back. He's, uh, he's attacking that and saying, there's no spiritual benefit you can get from doing that. You should avoid those things. Did you know that some people believe that genealogies are necessary to go to heaven? Mormons believe genealogies are necessary to go to heaven. That's funny how the Bible, they say, uh, uh, you know, the, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Well, they need to get busy reading the testament they already have. If they did, it would tell them, leave off, avoid these genealogies. That's where a lot of this stuff came from, was the Mormon church. Y'all did realize Mormons really got into genealogy, didn't you? How many of y'all knew that? You got several hands. Some didn't. Oh, they're big into genealogies. Oh, yeah. Mormons believe that they have family members that are in a spiritual prison right now. A spiritual prison. And they're waiting on that Mormon family member to perform a Mormon ritual to get them released out of prison so they can go into heaven. It's what they believe. They don't put that on those cute little television commercials about family, by the way. They make you think, oh, we're just like one of you. No, they're not. They're a cult. But they, they, they believe these family members. I want to pick on Miss Glenda again. I've already got her on my mind. Let's say that that Glenda was born back in the 1700s. She's been long and gone for a long time. But she was one of my ancestors. And she's in a spiritual prison right now. Why? Well, she didn't know Joseph Smith and the gang and all these Mormon rituals and all that stuff. So she, she never had these Mormon rituals done. So I've got to trace back my family and get back to her and identify her as part of my family so I can do a Mormon ritual by proxy in her name. That way I can go through that ritual as if I was Glenda Lasky and then she could, she could get sprung from the spiritual prison. So that's why they do all these genealogies. Don't think they're just into family. <laughs> they're trying to get their lost family into heaven. They look up their dead ancestors. They can perform these ceremonies for them. And Paul is saying, don't waste your time looking up the dead. Invest your time looking up to the living Jesus and telling people who who He is and what He's done for them. Why do I want to look up the dead? It's too late for them. Apparently they've forgotten the Uh, What Jesus said about two men. There was a rich man who, 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 who fared sumptuously in life. And there was this poor man named Lazarus sitting outside his gate. And they both died. And in hell the rich man lifted up his eyes. And the poor man was in Abraham's bosom. And Abraham told that rich man, We can't go to you. What else did he say? You can't come to us. He didn't say, hang on now, hang on, give it a little time for people to look up your ancestry on 23 and Me, and they'll perform some ritual, and you can come see Lazarus yourself. He didn't say any of that stuff. We can't go to you, praise God for that. You can't come to us. Once you're dead, you're dead. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is clean, let him remain clean. That's how the Scripture tells us it goes. So don't waste your time looking up the dead. Invest your time looking up those who are alive, walking the earth right now, and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. If your loved one dies without Christ, there's nothing you can do for them. There used to be a man that would ask my mother and other people all the time to pray for his wife. You remember that, Mama? His wife was dead. He'd say, pray for her. It'd be like me saying... You know, it would be like Tammy dying and be saying, uh, Brother Shepherd, pray for Tammy. No. Listen, if a person is a believer in Christ and they die, first of all, they don't need prayers. They're better off than you are. And if they did not trust Christ as their Savior while they were alive, all the prayers in the world do not going to get them out of hell. Okay? The time to receive Christ is while you live on this earth. Did you know there's some churches that believe in genealogies? Did you know that? There are some Baptist churches that believe you have to do church genealogies. Church genealogies. They believe, we're talking about Baptist churches here in America. I used to go to one of them. I, I, I had no idea. They believed this stuff. They're called Baptist Brighters. Have any of y'all ever heard of Baptist Brighters? Have many of y'all never heard of Baptist Brighters? Almost everybody. Baptist Brighters. You remember Gallatin Missionary Baptist Church? Right? I went to for a little while. Baptist Brighters, That's what they are. There's a bunch of them. It's a Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, ABA. ABA. There's BMA and ABA. in the ABA or the the Baptist Briders. And uh, they believe that they can trace their church back to the original church that Jesus started when he was on earth. And they believe that us, our church, is not part of the bride of Christ. That if you cannot, if you're not part of their particular association, then you can't trace your church back to the Bride of Christ. Therefore, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, but when you get there, you won't be part of the Bride of Christ. And I remember being in Fort Worth one time, and I, I was pastoring a church up in Fort Worth, and this lady from an ABA church, she said, uh, well, can, can you all trace your church back to the original church? That was important to her. It's amazing. This is a genealogy that should be avoided. Listen, if you have a group of people who believe the gospel, then you have a church that can be traced back to the church Jesus started. (laughs) Why? Because if we believe the gospel, then we were born again by the testimony of the apostles of the original church. We were saved through their word. Of course we trace it back to the original church. All faith in Christ is traced back to God's Word, which is traced back to God's Son, which is traced back to the everlasting covenant before the world began. But people get so sideways with these silly issues. When I left that uh, Gallatin Church, and uh, my job gave me a promotion back then, and I moved up to the Metroplex. And I started attending another church. And when they found out that it wasn't, according to them, part of the Bride of Christ, they performed, they did an excommunication of me. I hadn't yet joined another church. I was still technically a member there. I was looking around. And when they found out, they excommunicated me. I told the pastor, I said, well, you do what you think you need to do, brother. I said, but it's not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. This whole nonsense of tracing people backwards is foolish. We don't need to be looking backward. We need to be looking upward and onward. Paul said, look back. What else are we to avoid? Paul said, and contentions and strivings about the law. Now I know there's a comma between contentions. And the word and there. Uh, but uh, that, that comma is not going to be in the Greek of course. Um, but I, I believe that the comma probably doesn't belong there. I believe it should be contentions and strivings about the law. Rather than contentions, comma, and also strivings about the law. Of course we should avoid contentions. But I believe... Is talking about the law here, and I believe that uh, the idea here is this: back in Paul's day, they were having arguments and fights about the Mosaic law among the scribes, and they were over some of the most trivial things that didn't amount to anything. And they had divided. The church was embracing these, these foolish kinds of things. Contentions and strivings about the law. Don't look here in the Old Testament and get all messed up over silly things that aren't even there. Because they would add extra laws to the law. To try to make sure they didn't break the law. What do your what do your uh, disciples eat with unwashing hands they asked Jesus well that, that was a contentionist driving about the law they they, they strove with Christ about it. they contended with Christ about it you should be washing your hands with a ceremonial washing before you eat and Jesus said that's a tradition of man it's not it's not in the scriptures why, why are you Making God's commandments void with your traditions, why are you squabbling over things like that? But that kind of attitude that causes divisions, uh, Paul was dealing with issues like this in the church in First Corinthians chapter one, first Corinthians chapter one verses eleven through thirteen, Paul said this, "It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren." by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, quote, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. In other words, Paul said, you've got contentions among you there in the church of Corinth. You've got people saying, well, well now, uh, I'm a... I'm a Paul man myself. I'm a follower of Paul. Someone else said, Well, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a follower of Apollos. Someone else saying, Well, I follow Cephas or the Apostle Peter. And then someone else saying, Well, not me. I don't follow anybody but Jesus. And Paul asked this question Is Christ divided? God does not like divisions in the church. Now, the truth is something worth dividing over. But something that's not in Scripture is not worth dividing over. And that's what Paul's getting at. These people were making a big whoop to do about nothing. They were, they were getting man and personalities involved into their worship here, into their, their leadership here. And they're saying, well, yeah, I'm a Paul guy. And, and uh, that Apollos, uh, he, he, he takes a different approach than I do. And I don't like that. And, uh, and someone said, well, I like Apollos. And I like, he's a whole lot better than Paul. And I'm following his teachings. Paul says, is Christ divided? He says, was Paul crucified for you? In other words, was it me? Did I die for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There were Christians there they were at odds with one another. And if someone is at odds with the Bible, then they're going to be at odds with me, okay? But they were fighting over some silly, prideful, man-made matter that didn't amount to hill of beans. Paul's saying, what are you doing? You're at odds with one another over men who didn't die for you. The church was at odds with each other for another, uh, for one reason, the, 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 and, you know, and one reason only. Why were they at odds with one another? The church, the body, wasn't focused on the head. Period. The body wasn't focused on the head. It was focused on the members. Anytime you have men focusing on other men, you are going to have Problems all there is to it. Anytime the church fights over something trivial, it is going to be about something carnal. And it is rooted in pride. Boy, I tell you, I tried to find it, Brother Shepherd, And I could not find it. One of the worst <laughs> squabbles we had for a short time here at this church, a long time ago, was over the color of the walls in the sanctuary. How many of y'all remember that? All right. Luke, you remember it well, don't you? (laughs) And I'm like, what? And this one lady came up to me, as sincere as she could. She said, the paneling in this church is one of the reasons I decided to start coming here. I said, ma'am, when we stand before Jesus, He's not going to care what color the panel is in this church. Isn't that worth fighting over? He said, she said, well, I said one of the reasons I decided to join. I said, it doesn't matter. So Brother Shepard, man, if I find that one day, y'all get a kick out of it. He wrote a beautiful poem called, O oh, Thou Whited Wall. Oh, it was great. Oh, Thou Whited Wall. Wasn't that the title of it? Yeah, that was great, man. So, uh, it was a little inside joke between me and him, and I thought one of these days, when the church heals from all that, and we can all look back and laugh over it and learn from it. I'm going to read that poem to him, brother. If you can find it, you, if you can find it, then uh, we don't have to do it now. But it's something we can put on the agenda for later. Oh, thou whited wall. <laughs> but any time a church fights over something trivial, it's about something carnal. And it's always rooted in pride. Rooted in the flesh somehow. And we know that, that it was these trivial things, these contentions that Paul was referring to because he told us the reason these strifes should be avoided. Look back in your text here in, uh, in Titus. He said, avoid them. Why? For they are unprofitable in vain. He's not saying... Don't argue over the Scriptures because some people say, well, uh, some people." I was disinvited from preaching at a place a while back because they said, well, don't preach on any doctrine. I said, man, that's all I preach is doctrine. Well, I don't want anyone offended that don't believe like you that's from a different denomination. I'm probably not your man then. I'm going to preach the truth. He said, find something we can all agree on. I guess I should preach on all the sin come short of the glory of God. Then let them have it. But, you see, when these strifes that he's talking about, he's not saying avoid the controversial things in Scriptures. I mean, if we did that, we would be shirking our duty by not teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. He's saying avoid the things that are unprofitable in vain. And we know that he is not saying... Don't speak on a particular scripture issue over here because it is a minor doctrine. How do we know that? Because all scripture is given by inspiration and it is what? Profitable, the Bible says. Paul is the one who wrote that scripture. Paul's telling us to don't. Don't worry about things that are unprofitable. So he's not referring to Scripture. You see what I'm saying? He's referring to the angels singing or not. That's not in Scripture. He's referring to whether or not we can trace your church back to the original church. Through some genealogy. That's not in Scripture. Jesus didn't tell us to do that. He said for they are unprofitable in vain. In other words, these fights are unprofitable in that they don't do any good for anybody. They don't help the kingdom of God alone at all. They don't enlighten the eyes of the believers. And grow them in the grace of Christ. The knowledge of God's word. They are vain. Meaning we are fighting over them. And when we do we are fighting over nothing. They don't amount to anything. So this lets us know two things. First. We should never fight over something. That is about nothing. That will do no good for nobody, we should never fight over something, that is about nothing, that will do no good for nobody. Second, we should always fight over something that is about something, that will be a help to somebody. We should always fight over something that is about something that will be a help to somebody. If a clear doctrine in God's Word is under attack, then we must stand to defend the Bible. In Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that's where Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what those two key words there are? Profitable in good. Profitable in good. If the Bible is profitable for good works, then it is not unprofitable in vain. Therefore, it is not the trivial matter Paul is talking about. Apart from the Bible, apart from the major doctrines of His Word, there's no unity at all. Never sacrifice doctrine for unity. When you do, you will unite with men and you will divide with God. It is the truth about the gospel that unites us and it will be the lies that divide us when Jesus comes again. The Apostle Jude said we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So in closing, we should affirm the clear teachings of God's word but we should avoid the strivings of men. If the fight doesn't build up our faith, then our faith needs to tear down the fight. That we'll go ahead and close. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you, Father, for your clear instructions. Lord, you know how prone we are as people to get into the trap of triviality to on one side sacrifice truth for unity and on the other side argue over trivial things and cause division. We're poor fallen creatures and we thank you Lord for giving us your word to clear our minds of the nonsense and to set our hearts Father God in the right direction that we may think in due, Father, in such a way that will bring honor and glory to you and your church and that all things will be done decently and in order. And we pray, Father, we'll do this in Christ's precious name. Amen.